A Hero's Journey is, by its nature, a podcast filled with spoilers. We recommend reading the book beforehand and then diving into the episode, but proceed at your own risk. Welcome to A Hero's Journey, a literary podcast. I'm your host and judge, Jack, and I'm here with my garish gherkins. This is Alex. And I'm Zach. Each week, we look at a different book through Joseph Campbell's monomyth. So this week, we're going to be discussing Before They Are Hanged by Joe Abercrombie, which is book two of the First Law Trilogy. In this story, Northmen have spilled over the border of England, uh, and they're spreading fire and death across the, the frozen country. Uh, north of the of the Union, uh, the Crown Prince is has poised to drive them out uh, and and win himself some glory. Um, the problem is that the army that he's working with pretty much sucks. Um, Baez, who's the first Magi, uh, is leading a party uh, in search of a, um, of a of a magical artifact through a perilous mission where he goes uh, across the ruins of the past. Um, and he's joined by a lot of the crew that we met in the first book, including, um, the bloody nine, um, as well as several other characters and bloody nine. So we focus on the first book. And then, uh, finally we see uh, superior Glockta who is trying to defend uh, a city surrounded by his enemies and also kind of riddled with traitors, uh, not knowing who he can trust and what he should do. Uh, he, and we're going to be focusing on Glockta uh, in this particular novel for his journey. Um, he works with the locals. He, he attempts to fortify his position uh, against the uh, Gurkish Empire, uh, and, and things get quite um, unusual for him, stretching his perceptions of what's real. And let us start at the beginning, for it is a very good place to start, uh, with Zach telling us all what the journey is, which is especially relevant this week, as I have not had a chance to read the book yet. So, like I said, we're going to be following Superior Glockta this week. Degoska is that his previous superior was assassinated and or gone missing. They're not entirely sure which. And so Glockta has been sent to A, figure it out, and B, try to save the city from the Gurkish uh, Empire's attack. And our called adventure is being sent by the Ark Lector Sult uh, to the city of Degoska. It's not something he would have chosen for himself. Yes, he, he hates the Gurkish Empire for what they did to him, but his personal life's mission is not any sort of vendetta one it's to uh a journey of um survivalism and and watching out for himself and so uh he's only doing this because that's what's required of him for his job so there's not any sort of altruistic motives at the beginning of this book he's being sent there and that's where the adventure is going to take place so that's our call to adventure uh for our refusal of the call we have an interesting one because it is a refusal of the journey that he has been sent on by the Ark Lector. Um, but it does tend to prove useful later in the story, which is something that we don't often see for our refusals. Uh, in this particular instance, as soon as he arrives, Glokta is immediately surprised and interested in the plight of the native people here in the city of Degoska. Uh, his tour guide essentially is the inquisitor who's um, been interrogating the former servants of the, of the last uh, superior. And he, this inquisitor 
when asked, oh, what are these natives and why are they, uh, why do they live in such poverty, kind of scoffed and said, well, this is much better than what the Gurkish Empire, the Gurkish Empire would treat us, but they're still not to be trusted, have to be kept firmly in hand. So we've got, you know, some pretty blatant racism against these uh, native peoples, and it's something that strikes a discordant tone within Glockta. And so he kind of forgets his immediate quest on why he's there and starts to think about, well, why is this the case and what can be done about it? And the reason I say it becomes important, as we'll see in a couple steps, is that the native uh, people prove extremely valuable to his, uh, his, his true mission, which is to discover his predecessor's death and save the city. So um, I like that the refusal of this goal in this particular instance isn't entirely useless. So we move on to our meeting of the mentor, which is actually directly relevant. So our mentor in this story is Hadish Kadia who is the, the representative of the native peoples on the council of the city. Um, he uh, provides insight to the plight of, uh, uh, and value of the native people to Glockta, which again, uh, I just said, proves to be invaluable. For our crossing of the threshold, uh, we get to immediately see the usefulness of that mentor. Uh, he makes a deal with Katia to secure the natives' help in repairing the defenses because the, the moat and the walls of the city have been in extreme disrepair. And if the enemy shows up now, then all is lost. So he disbands some rules that disallow the natives from going into certain areas of the city, which gains him a lot of popularity with them. He provides food and pay to them, something that they weren't uh, didn't have an abundance before. And in doing so, makes himself some adversaries on the council as a whole, but really uh, gains them a lot of well-needed manpower uh, and support from the native people while also uh, shoring up the defenses of the city. Things really start to take uh, a turn when the Gurkish army actually arrives and they begin their land blockade of the city. Um, this is, there's another moment that could be considered in which he shows up and takes control of the, of the, of the council of the city, but it happens a little bit earlier, almost essentially at the beginning his, of his arrival. And I didn't think enough time had passed for um, there really to be a belly of the whale. I think the seriousness uh, and the deadliness of the situation uh, ramps itself up tenfold uh, as soon as the enemy comes to the gates and begins their siege. This is a lot of niceties from Torturum first, sorted out later, Glockta. Oh, don't worry, we get there. Like for, for a moment here, I was thinking, wait, do I, did I mix up character names? No, this is the one that uh, Alex loves. He does a get, monster. He does uh, immediately, actually, um, as soon as he gets there and he sees that the Inquisitor is uh, torturing the last surviving, um, the last surviving servant of his predecessor, and nothing has come from it. Uh, tells him that he's, you know, done it. He's an, uh, he's a fool, and that he's not good at his job, and he sends him back to the Union. Uh, for being just useless, this uh, Inquisitor that was there, and actually releases that servant who was tortured and makes her his servant. Um, which, again, these are things that are in stark contrast to the kind of bloody uh, Inquisitor that we saw in book one. So I, I don't disagree with you, but as far as the other characters in the book are concerned, when they view him, he's not only his same ugly self, um, but he still is carrying around all the weight of his past misdeeds. That's interesting. I I think that the the thing that goes against your point there is if Schickel had proved at the time to still have valuable information, right? 
I don't think we would have hesitated to see Glockta continue the bloody interrogation. But when he gets there, he rationalizes that she doesn't know anything and that's the kind of the end of it and that the um that the inquisitor that was there you know had been so bad at his job that he had not only not kept the other two alive but he'd failed to get really any information from any of them and so i think the primary thing that goes against what you're trying to say is a she was essentially at this point in time useless and that later when she does prove a little bit to be um foreshadowing when she does prove to be relevant uh we don't see him uh with the same mindset as far as her well-being but let me ask you because with that same foreshadowing staring down our list of steps um if he'd kept torturing her and done it himself because you know he's very good at his job uh would he have gotten relevant information I don't believe so. And the primary reason being is that the nature of her condition allows her to essentially ignore the interrogation methods. And even when we see the interrogation happening far later in the book, she volunteers the information out of her kind of twisted mindset and not out of the fact that they're torturing her. She only gives up this information because the enemy is at the gates and she feels that, um, you know, she has nothing to lose by sharing this kind of the, the evil dictator uh, rant to the hero. She's tackling. Yes. And, and, and it's not exactly like that. Right. Cause I know Alex could jump in and be like, Oh, well she, you know what, obviously what happens to her is, is off. It's very bad for her. But at the same time, she doesn't like the situation she finds herself in, but she has no choice in the matter. So um, I don't think that same amount of forthcomingness would have been present at her character at this point. Um, and that the only reason, and that the interrogation even done by his skillful hand would have been uh, inadequate. Awesome. Zach, as the person arguing for this week, you have convinced me that there is not a refusal of the call so far. Yay. <laughs> I wouldn't award the point. Just speaking from like a meta standpoint, he's not refusing the call. What? He's what's wrong? What's wrong with my refusal per se? Right? Because he's because he's, it's not real. Like it does. He doesn't care. Okay. It is. Thank God. Because I was about to say this sociopath randomly. It's just a strategy. He only cares about the native people because he needs the native people to repair the walls and defend the city as cannon fodder. Give me a second here. Give me a second. I gotta look at something. Uh, there's a reference here in chapter three called Questions. Um, Inspector Harker, Lee, this is a synopsis of the chapter, so I, I don't have the exact quote, but I can find it if we need to. Um, who leads Glockta through to Ghostco to the seat of government. Walking through the city, Glockta is struck by the abject poverty of the black-skinned native people and the absurd wealth of the white ruling elite. Um, and I, like I said, Harker provides a running commentary with filled with ignorant bigotry and how they're better off under the union, but can't be trusted. And I just feel like this whole is this whole expose from Abercrombie just to allow Glockta to have that tool later. And we're ignoring the fact that he, you know, the, the author is obviously trying to build empathy if in the, in, and have us empathize with Glockta, right? He's somebody who's suffered a lot and we're, he's trying to make us forget a little bit about the atrocities of the first book. And 
So, you know, Glock is perfectly happy to torture a confession from that old war buddy that he had, right? At the in the last book, but he's he's he is deeply offended by the racism going on. To the point of considering the considering the plight of the citizens when Glockta is talking to Haddish about clearing the Spicers out of the Great Temple, Glockta says, As for being a good man, that ship sailed long ago, and I wasn't even there to wave it off. I'm interested in holding the Goska, that and nothing else. I feel like he's playing up his image here, but we can't necessarily argue a direct quote, I suppose. Going on from that quote, I think Haddish is a great mentor, because without him telling Glockta... Like, hey, you clear out the Great Temple, you open the gates. Glock is not going to figure that out himself. No, he's been there like no time. Yeah, so he has to get this information from Haddish. And Haddish then, he's the leader of the native people. He helps the natives um, get behind the union in this. And that's really the only reason that they can continue on um, with their fight against the Kirkish. So I think he's a great mentor. Zach, I think it's hard to find a good crossing of the threshold and belly of the whale here. I think you've made a valiant effort here, but I don't really think that this deal with um, Haddish is different than the mentor step. I think that like folds in with that mentor step. If we want to say that it's taking control of the ruling council for one of these, I think that's fine, but I don't think it can be both, obviously. Well, I'm not trying to say that the ruling council is the crossing. I'm uh, I'm firmly firmly in the camp that the belly of the whale is when you know the empire, Kyrgyz empire, actually gets there, and I'm fine with Hadish being the mentor, as we both are. So essentially, what we're coming down is the is to the what is the crossing of the threshold, and I think it's the first instance once Glockta has gotten to the city, right that we start to see him building an alliance base. The very first thing he does when he gets there is start to alienate himself by um, by taking over the ruling council and just saying, I'm in charge here, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He's not particularly diplomatic about it. And so we see Glockta in a scenario that we saw him a lot in the first book in which he's kind of this lone ranger, which actually is a funny comparison because obviously nothing like the Lone Ranger, but he's this uh, sole individual with, with very little uh, support around him um, in, an, in, a, in a foreign place. And we start to see him do what he does best, which is think about the problem at hand and make um, meaningful decisions to secure a positive result. And in this instance, that is gaining support of the, of the Native people. I just feel like this is the this is the step that we see him starting to build a support base, um, and I think that's useful because this is one of the steps that proves to be very useful later, yeah, immediately and later. Again, I think it just is folded in with that mentor. Well, so the one thing that I I kind of want clarity on is that I see how that part is a big shift, trying to really make even if it's just working relationships, working relationships and get that power base under him. But how for you, Zach, is this game significantly different than the one he's was playing back in England? Right. Cause when we're looking at the crossing of the return, thre- return threshold, crossing of the threshold. Yeah. We're looking for our character to move I- into unknown circumstances, even if it, right. Yeah. That's a good question. I think it has to do with a, a matter of scale. 
when we saw him back in England, it was a very interpersonal kind of Game of Thrones that he was playing where he, you know, bribed this person or threatened this person. And now he's dealing with the masses, right? As opposed to uh, individual pawns. And he's starting to kind of embody that general-esque role that he's been thrust into in the defense of the city. Right. If he continued to play the game the same exact same way that he played it in England, the city wouldn't have stood a chance, right? Because he would have still been influencing individuals. Just point is of it, clarity, not in England. He's in uh I think Midlands. Oh yeah, yeah. The Union. He, the uh, union. We, yeah, Sorry. Yeah. I Sorry. say England because England and I always think of Yeah, no, England is the north. And, is yeah, yeah the north and, he, and in the first book he was firmly in the Union's capital. Yeah. It would it be fair to say that he's also a lot more public facing this time as sort of a difference in roles? It's uh, it's definitely a more public role than um, than what he was doing in his torture chambers back at the Capitol. Now you're gonna have to convince me on the belly of the whale because I don't doesn't sound like Glockta has any ability to leave at any time from the moment he gets assigned the mission. Just furthering what Jack said, he can't leave from the second he is sent until the Archlector calls him back under punishment of death. So. It's um, it's going to be hard to convince me that anything is a belly of the whale for him because he's already stuck. So I think those are interesting points. I want to highlight more about the circumstances that exist once the siege begins in earnest, right? Because there's this, oh, they're coming. They're going to be here soon. They're going to be, oh, shit, they're here. And... And and the and the armies, as far as the eye can see, are now amassed on the other side of the walls, and there's catapults and all this fun stuff, right? So, and they start throwing stones into the city and destroying crap. This is a scenario in which everything up to this has been the calm before the storm, right? We got to prepare ourselves. We have to be ready for the onslaught. And it, when they actually get here, I think it's a complete shift in the tone of the city. The reality of the situation that that Glock defines himself in. Does he recommit himself in any way? Right, like I'm imagining. Oh, he does several on, times in the book. Yeah. Did the Gurkish offer him like joining oh, their side? Yeah, the Gurkish totally show up, and the first guy in's like, "So you see, we got a bajillion people, right? And if you just surrender now, essentially, you can just be. We'll just own it and." And things won't change too much, kind of thing. You know the stereotypical, yeah. One, just like state. Um, hmm. In fact, Look, he, I'm he, trying he, to he responds. To, he responds to their offering by taking the person who's offered it and torturing them until they he tells him uh, who the traitors are on the council. Ah, oh, good old Glockta. Uh, so you rascal, you. That's how he finds out about the traitors on the council. That he's pretty sure we're already there. Then I, I I think that puts me even more solidly in the fact that there there can't be a a belly because there can be no unless he's going against the union at some point. I can't really imagine a scenario where the stakes get raised for Glockta. Well, that is gonna close us out on our departure with that refusal of the call not quite making it there and a bit of a lack of a belly, but still uh pretty solid hero setting for uh, a character as heroic as Glockta. 
And that's going to bring us right on into the initiation when your city is under siege and apparently you just torture people under the flags of truce because that's how Glockta rolls. The most important, the more important of the two traders being Eider, the representative from the Spice Guild, which is a significant economic power both here in the city and back home in the capital. And uh, he confronts Eider about why she had betrayed uh, the city and why she had had, uh, why she was working with the Gurkish. And she essentially says, I was doing it to save people's lives. If we do a peaceful transfer of power, then uh, the common folk living here in the city won't be. Uh, raped and, and murdered and tortured uh, when the city falls. And she kind of uh, ignites a little bit of a spark of compassion inside Glockta. And I know we've been making fun of him as the, as the heartless uh, uh, man of iron that is often presented to us. But uh, in her uh, description of why she did what she did, uh, Glockta kind of comes around to her line of thinking. It's not something he can actually do because of the own threats to his life from the art collector. But um, he certainly understands why she did it, so much so that uh, he puts her on a ship uh, and has her leave the city rather than torturing and executing her. So uh, also in this conversation, he learns that um, she that the his predecessor had found out that they were working to betray the city, the traitors. And so all she did was tell the Gurkish and then the Gurkish got rid of him. But she doesn't know how. Um, that the predecessor was uh, was either kidnapped or, or murdered. Um, so that's our first road of trial. Uh, our second is Glockta finds himself increasingly without the um, ability to really man the walls. So he's, he's spent all this time with the native people to build up the defenses, but he doesn't have enough manpower to actually man the entire length of these very impressive fortifications extend this battle far beyond anyone thought possible. Our meeting with the higher power, uh, now that we've kind of moved past our road of trials, again, the road weaves itself in and out throughout the initiation. Uh, the higher power in this uh, instance, and actually throughout the entire series, is the Valent and Balk Bank. Uh, it's a bank that we heard uh, rumblings of in the first book and has become extremely important here in the second book. It's this sort of um, entity that nobody knows how it gets all its money, but it has a crap ton of money, and they really kind of deal in favors, and the, the, the council and Glockta in particular are running out of funds. They can't get, continue to pay the natives. Uh, they can't continue, you know, he can't hire mercenaries that are there. Everything's going wrong because he doesn't have enough funds, and the art collector keeps saying, well, I'll send you funds. Oh, I couldn't send you the funds over and over, and it's, it's a prolonged process while he's trying to hold the city and he's going to lose it simply from a lack of money. All of a sudden a representative from that bank shows up in his place and offers him essentially enough money to buy an entire kingdom. Um, it's more money than pretty much most humans in, in this world have seen in their entire lifetime put together in one chest. And uh, he uses that money to great effect uh, in, in keeping the people um, if not necessarily happy, uh, well-paid, in order to continue the defense of the city. And so we've got this immediate gift, but we also have something that I think is really interesting is that he now owes this uh, undeclared and undefined debt to the bank that they will call in uh, in the future. Um, he knows that by taking this money, he kind of 
pulls himself between two powers, the Arc Collector and this bank, but he doesn't have any choice because the Arc Collector is letting him down on funds. So I think this is a really fun uh, higher power. The Temptress is a really, really, really awesome one, and that's because he actively falls for it throughout the entire book, and it doesn't immediately or even long-term uh, degrade his actual journey. So um, I think it's really cool. Um, he continually falls for the stereotypical damsel in distress. He does it with either of the Spice Guild. He does it with Vitari, who is um, essentially one of the people who'd come with him from the capital, who had been reporting on him back to the Ark Lector. Uh, and he does it back in the capital with Artie, where he's he finds women who are in distress, and he can't help but um, offer his support. And it's something that can often get him in trouble. At first glance, these seem like decisions that are of more of a personal nature, and they won't have any uh, ramifications towards his quest. But if uh, the Ark Lector finds out that he let Eider go, then he'll... At best, he'll be fired. Uh, at worst, he'll be killed. And that, and then the, the quest goes out the window, right? If um, by bringing Vitari, he uh, opens himself up to her reporting on um, the true nature of what happened in Dagoska to the Ark Lecter when they get home and, uh, and therefore uh, ruining this entire quest. Artie is is more of a personal one, but I think it helps establish the pattern um, that Glockta continually finds himself falling for. We're going to be talking about the Atonement with the Creator, which we're going back to Shickle, who was the uh, servant of the predecessor to Glockta, the last superior of the city, um, who ended up being the assassin. And she is an eater, someone with magical abilities that comes from consuming the flesh of man. Um, and she was sent there to get rid of the predecessor once they found out that he wasn't going to turn over the city easily. And now she's there to do the same to Glockta. And the reason that this is the Atonement with the Creator, because we look at the stat that says, uh, must be confronted by um, whoever holds the ultimate power in their life. And the reason that that is relevant for this quest is twofold. The first being, without her uh, interactions with the predecessor, Glockta wouldn't be here at all, right? It wouldn't be necessary for Glockta to be here. So she has directly caused the scenario that brought Glockta into this adventure. Two, um, she has held a significant uh I guess, threat of death, although it hasn't been immediately apparent, right, uh, that it was her. Glockta has been worried about this assassin who killed his predecessor the entire story. Now, he does figure out bits and pieces and lays the trap for this assassin, uh, which he's able to foil her plans, but this, this looming threat of assassination has been there the entire time, and that I'd argue, had she been ordered to take him out slightly earlier in the story before he had time to really figure it out and prepare that it would have been extremely uh, successful on her part. So um, everything about he's been warned about the eaters from another magic user. And even though he's been able to figure out the puzzle pieces of uh, other parts of the story, this one still kind of eluded him. And so uh, I think this is a really good culmination of the story. Because it also leads directly uh, into his apotheosis. Yes, and that apotheosis is that the torture of Shickle after her uh, capture, after her failed assassination attempt, not only reveals this wealth of information that she's an eater, that there's a dark magic behind the Gurkish Empire, um, that the, the his ability to hold the city is essentially pointless because of the 
um, the the forces that are easily available to the Gurkish Empire. Uh, these are all things that um, were hinted at throughout the book, but especially the magic was viewed as something that was impossible and something that Glockta didn't believe in. Um, but now he's presented uh, with it in, in, in harsh reality. And so it really opens his eyes, which is something I think is perfect for an apotheosis. Now we come to the ultimate boom. And I'm going to be the first to uh, admit that it is an odd boon to leave the city that you got here um, to save. And I really want to kind of open up the discussion, perhaps even starting here at the boon and then coming back to our road of trials, because I think it's so important to our understanding of the initiation as a whole is that if we're supposed to view the entire story from the ultimate boon and work backwards, I could have very easily written this journey simply about Glockta's um, self-preservation, right? Glockta's journey... Glockta's whole journey is to save his own ass, and, you know, by doing everything that he's done up to this point in the story, uh, he gets called home, which is saving his ass. But I think that takes away from any real character development that Glockta uh, showcases throughout the story and would just have us starting and ending the book with Glockta being the same exact individual. And I think that is not the case and why I chose not to do it. So can you walk me through what development you think Glockta undergoes throughout this book? Yeah, he gains not only a broader understanding of the forces at play here and realizes how out of depths he is on a knowledge perspective by his introduction to Schickel and, and the world of magic. He, uh, he learns more about the... Uh, it, there's, there's a real, I guess, the primary one is a development of knowledge that I think is really important and it will, I, I hope, uh, pay dividends in his future back in the capital. And uh, B, I think we see him humanize in a way that I think my, my two co-hosts here on the podcast are somewhat reluctant to, um, to ascribe to Glockta. But I think, the, I think that the author is doing this intentionally. He, we're shown his, um, his mercy to Schickel at the beginning, to the women throughout the story, to the native peoples. And I think it's, it's done purposely to try to humanize a character that we are uh, supposed to vilify quite a bit in the first book. So that's why I chose the ultimate boon that I did. I think it's fine to start at the ultimate boon. And I'm going to argue the ultimate boon is leaving the city, holding it at for as long as possible, holding it long enough that the art art collector thinks that he did a good job. Yeah. That is one thing and- we should mention to Jack when he gets back to the capital He's expected to be berated by the art collector about he, how he didn't hold the city. And when he mm-hmm. gets back, the art collector's all smiles. He goes, no, I sent you on a suicide mission. The fact that you held it for like three months was amazing. And it allowed me to undermine so many of the political problems that I had here in the capital at the time. So yeah. um, he's very happy with uh, Glockton when he gets back. In fact, the revelation that the leader of the Spice Guild in the city was trying to sell him out to the Gurkish allowed the art collector to disband the spice guild and take over all their uh funds and money and like yeah because the art collector has just been making a play for being king but not yes i'm gonna argue that you know in, in getting this ultimate boon he doesn't undergo any character development which is perfect for me because glockta is an amazing character the way he is 
I don't think he really shows any growth in mercy. We see, like, little hints of it, but we've seen little hints that he has this falling for the damsel in distress again and again. We see it with Artie in the first book and again in the end of this book. But aside from that, he doesn't change. He stays the cynical, tortured soul he is. And we are supposed to feel sympathy for him, but we're not supposed to empathize with his actions. We should feel sympathy for his pain and the suffering that he's had, but we shouldn't empathize with his actions and how he takes that pain and inflicts it on others. So I think that the, the argument starts to come down to the whole, you know, the betterment of the many, uh, the pain of the few sort of ideal, right? We've got an idea where he does torture people, but in doing so protects the city, right? What, at what point but, do but you... But doesn't believe he's doing any of these things for the greater good, does he? No. I don't know. Mm, I disagree a little bit. The conversation that he has with Eider before he banishes her, essentially, instead of uh, having her killed or tortured, I think is one of those pivotal character moments that, while we didn't go into in depth as far as quotes go, I think is important for the character. Because he, sh if, if, if Glockta is exactly how uh, we think he is, right, and he's been... At the beginning half of the book, he's accepting help from Eider and giving her advice on things, and he kind of considers her one of his allies on the council. And then it comes out after interrogating the ambassador from the Gurkish Empire that she's one of the traitors. And so he goes over to her full of, you know, uh, brimstone and fire and extremely angry and confronts her. And she explains her rationality, which is what tempers his, his anger and allows her to live. And I think that the rationality of the the good of the people is what did that. And I don't think if Glockta was this heartless creature, I'm not saying he's a good person. Let's not try to mistake well, my um, argument. But what, I'm not saying that he's heartless. I'm just saying that it it's not a change. He he already felt the like sympathy for a woman in distress. That's something that he has felt from the beginning. Uh, so and it doesn't to, really change. No. To phrase it a different way, Zach, do you think if we'd taken Glockta from mid book one that and dropped him into this scenario, dropped him straight into this book, do you think he'd make the same decisions? Because it, it no, it, and this is and this is why uh, we are seen, we are shown in Shickle's torture. Right? If we compare Shickle to Eider here in this book alone, we see that he is capable of differentiating and not just falling to this trope, right? This damsel in distress, Shickle, when she communicates with him um, after being captured, she's bemoaning her existence, right? She's actually playing up what I would consider a fairly large damsel in distress card. I am this thing, but they made me into this thing and I have no choice, right? And so he has no problem setting fire to her and killing her um, because of her actions. But we, when we see the justification of Eider's betrayal, oh, I was trying to save the innocents in the city, he lets her go free. But what do you think caused that to be a change? Because I think change is really important for our heroes, right? It's one of the things that we tend to track lots of the steps on. So what, what do you think is different about 
our good friend San Glockta from the beginning to the end. What, right? Because he, we, we, as you said, we've seen early on that he has this capacity for both mercy and violent and extreme violence, like everyone in this world, apparently. Oh, I have a good example. I have to think about that. Um, I don't think there is a good example. I think the the big changes in this book come from the scenarios that he underwent in the book, like the road of trials, right? Are things that I think showcase an increased ability of Glockta, right? It's kind of like that training montage. If at the beginning of the book, he's a conniving torturer, right? By the end of the book, it doesn't mean he's no longer has the skills of that conniving torturer. It's just now he's added uh, inner political uh, knowledge and a wider understanding of the magical system that underlies this world. And I just feel like he's gained a lot of, you know, RPG skill points in new categories. I don't, nec- I don't necessarily good. think it's changed his personality. I disagree that he's gained all these things. He doesn't, he doesn't struggle at these. He goes in, he knows what he's going to do, and he does it. The way he discovers the traitors is torture. The way he gets the mercenaries is subterfuge. The way that he battle plans is the same way he battle planned before his injuries, before he got tortured by the Gurkish. So all of those things are things that he had learned in the past. I think because Glockta is a middle-aged character, I mean, he's like 30, he's a little more set in his ways, and he's already undergone a lot of lessons that our younger heroes tend to go through in the books. It makes Glockta a more interesting character to me because he's a little more static. He does do all of these things, but he's not really learning new skills when he's doing them. I think that's slightly disingenuous to say. I think that if you've never had experience with the things that he is being exposed to in this book, you But he he does have experience with them. He never defended a city. Yes, against he did. the siege. He charged the bridge that's... and was did battle plans. That's how he got captured and tortured. No, he was defending the bridge, I thought. What's the difference between defending a bridge and defending I mean, a city? Also, where was the different. bridge going? To a city? I, I would argue that being in command of a, a defensive force in a siege is probably different than leading a battle skirmish, but uh, he was, just to... I, I don't think that's as important, because I, right, I think, at least from my understanding of from where we start with Glockta... And from what you guys have said, that right, we're still following a character whose ultimate goal is just to carve himself out a little piece of happiness in a world that has attempted to destroy him over and over again. Correct? He wants to survive, and he wants to eventually try and be happy, even though he's always miserable. That's fairly fair. Yeah, I don't think there that that is a it is a decent broad overview of Glockta's character motivation. So if we're looking at this journey that he goes on in this book as part of his wider initiation, I will say that it right if he's undergoing this quest because it's death on one end, hopefully gaining the favor of somebody important on the other end, then the, he doesn't have to go through big changes, right? We're just about accomplishing 
his goals. And so I think we do get back to, although Zach thinks it's a little less interesting, the fact that really his goal, his ultimate boon here is getting out of this mess alive. And that every, right, all the changes that he changes or knowledge that he gains, all that other stuff is all, anything that comes from that is relevant if it's about, right, learning about magic is going to be relevant and important if in book three, what's it, right? That, that doesn't it, matter, though. doesn't matter for this journey. You can't consider it. Yeah, no, I and I, I just like... I don't think the character needs to change on a character level. I just think that the acquisition of skills and abilities are useful. If we look at a classical hero, let's just say Hercules, right? Hercules is a fairly static character for the entirety of the tales we get about him. He's he's kind of a, a big muscly guy who likes to beat up monsters and rescue people. And we don't really he doesn't really change much as a person, showcased by the fact that he actually dies by mistrusting his wife and, you know, and, and then getting, was it centaur blood put into his robes and burning himself and his wife alive? Like he doesn't yeah. actually change as a person, but every journey that Hercules goes on, he acquires tools and knowledge and ability that, uh, that makes him more and more of a hero. And so I think right. we need so to disassociate, we need to disassociate necessarily who a person is or how they think about things is different than the skills that they might gain. And that's something maybe that is a wider implication for our journeys as a whole. No, that's not how we view the road of trials. The road of trials is changing through the trials. That's how we view it. That's how we always discuss it. And I don't think Lacta does that. Well, but not, I mean, but going back to more in scope of this whole journey is... doesn't. Is he, he acquiring skills no. and the stuff to help him in the future? No. Arguably, yes. At the end of the book, he ends up as co-superior of the capital, Ardua. And, you know, and it's only through the actions and the trials that he went through that he gets that new role of prestige and, and power. So I don't feel like, he, I feel like he can't say he doesn't acquire anything by the end of the story. I'm not saying he doesn't acquire something he just doesn't change and that's how we've always discussed the road of trials noticing it yeah if we're going to the road of trials then these are events and things that take place but we we have previously said that we have felt right if it's the gaining of right it has to be the acquiring of skills or abilities if it's not personal growth and it sounds like not these things are glock glock to using his powers and abilities not undergoing feats of right trials to get new ones i think it i, I think I, I i don't disagree with the base logic there but i want to ask us how far do we start to extend that right because in a world where he himself is not a magical individual right and he and he's not even a physically prowessed one and he really only there's only two things that glockta in his entire life now at, at post being crippled that he really has access to. Right. And that is his mind and the people that he can pull in around himself. He's got his practicals. He's got, you know, he, he brings on the natives, he brings on the mercenaries. And so 
if there's only two aspects in Glockta's life that he can really realistically improve on, he can't become a magic user and gain powers that way, and he can't uh, and he can't really improve his physical prowess in any meaningful way due to his long-term crippling. Then there's only two avenues that Glockta can uh, three, I guess. There's three avenues that Glockta can uh, change in. One is his personality and personal growth which we've said for the most part is fairly static, although I, I disagree a little bit. But if we even if we ignore that one and we want to talk about the only other two avenues that the character has any possibility of changing in, he he advances in this road of trials. Okay, so in, in discovering in discovering the... So just to follow your example, Zach, because right, I think Alex was a little unfair when he declared it being a factor of Glockta's middle age rather than us seeing a character who's already gone through journeys in his past, right? We're seeing a character more at his prime is a weird word to use with Glockta, but at least at his, what appears to be his mental prime, uh, right? In discovering the traits of the council, does Glockta, right? He's doing something clever, but is he thinking in a new way? Is he, right? He's right, torturing is he... to get this answer. He's not thinking. I'm asking Zach. I know, but I'm answering. <laughs> um, Fair. Fair. The first trial, I think, is the weakest of the three if we're basing it on the uh, on the kind of scenario that I just posed to us about how Gokka can really advance. I think that the gaining of the mercenaries is a gaining of allies. I think the battle plan against... Do they go with him? Do, do they go with him as far as the ultimate boon? I would count that as a single hit if he yes, acquires they go these all, people. They, they, they go all the way to the ultimate boon. In fact, they go more than they probably should because the Emperor even offers him a shit ton of money and he's like, eh, I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to do the thing I'm famous for, which is betraying people. He did do that, though, at the very end. Yeah. Like, after Glockta left, he takes the money. Yeah. But the, we don't care about the city after Glockta leaves. But he wasn't offered that much money before. <laughs> I, I, I will I will say so far that it, I, I, based on all the other premises we've agreed upon, that, that getting the mercenaries does seem to be an expansion of the tools in Glockta's arsenal. But I guess, two out of three does not erode. Okay, I guess oh, my question. I guess two my out of, question. We've been two out of three before. Okay, I guess my question to Alex and to some extent Jack is: if you really like the 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 character that Glockta is. How can he be a hero in any sense of the word? How can we even discuss him for the purposes of the podcast and this quest? And how can he achieve the ultimate boon if you're saying he is in, incapable of actually changing? The same way that all heroes who don't have a road of trials that we've discussed before do it. They do it without changing. They do it by being static. They're just using the same skills and personality traits that they had before. Right, we talked about Harry Dresden, who is a very static character, quite purpose, quite purposely. Right, it does, it doesn't conform as well with our modern ideas on the hero's journey. But it's still interesting to discuss the ways that Glock, these points are still grounding you in Glock, right, in Glockta's tale, for lack of a better other phrase to come up with, to not use journey twice, right. But Glockta isn't designed to be a typical hero. He's designed to go against it. Glockta is very much of anti-hero to villain, depending on where we go with this story. 
from what I saw of him in book one. Glockta, I think you guys are right in a lot of things that you say on Glockta. I think that from a point of order, that if we look at Glockta as a character, I think there's only, like I said, two ways that he can change, and I think he does change in those two ways. But you guys... Well, so you've given, you've given me one. How do you think he changes in the other? The, the one being the acquiring point. of... of uh, yeah, okay. I'm agreeing with the, okay. getting the mercenaries. That, that fits for me. But across your other two... Give, give me him growing mentally, because it just, so far in the way you've laid it out, it seems to me that Glockta okay, so is a the, genius and exercises that genius rather than learning to think in new ways. See, I think, I think that's, a, that's a, a flawed way of thinking about intelligence, as, especially in the purpose of a literary character, right? Because we don't have um, any true gauge to say, oh, this character is this many brain IQ points, right? And as he did this, his IQ points went up. The only way that we can really see the character grow in an intelligence level or in a, in a sleuthing things out way, he doesn't only use, uh, you know, his, his torturing. It's not the only way that he gets information and accomplishes things throughout this tale. He... Uh, views the crime scene of the of the uh, predecessor's office and uses deductive reasoning to figure things out. And I, I think what you're doing by just classifying him as smart guy who uses his smarts takes away a little bit of his development in the book, which is fine if that's how you want to view it, but that's not how I view it. I feel like well, he uses... I, I, I didn't read the book. We've already stated yeah, it. Yeah, that's don't, true. I, I, I don't know. I need you to convince okay, so me he, on... He, he, he uses interrogation uh, in this book. Uh, he uses it on the ambassador, uh, and he uses it on Schickel. Uh, are essentially the two times in the entire story where he really uses interrogation to any um, real merit. Every other mm -hmm. time that he does something in this story to gain uh, more, uh, a better defense, to gain more time whatever you want to say it towards furthering his goal is him exercising things that aren't his tried and true interrogate them from book one and, and pull their fingers off. I mean, book one, we see him do his deduct just because you mentioned deductive reasoning. So that's the one that jumps to mind, right? We do see him do that with, uh, is it one of the tax guys that's been murdered or missing from his bed? And we watch Glock to break down the scene pretty effectively. Uh, I think it's a tax guy. I don't remember exactly. I, I don't necessarily think we need to spend any more time in the podcast on it. I just think it's an interesting point of discussion that how would in, in an ideal... But I'm genuinely curious. I am too, but in an ideal... That's the problem. Is it's, it's hard a little... It's a little bit hard. Um, so what we come down to, listeners, is do you think Glockta changes in this story? You can describe that to the little bit of character, uh, you know, personality change that I think he does undergo partially throughout this book, or does he uh, change in ability level, or does his character remaining static as, as Alex seems to like about him, um, is that more than adequate uh, for his ability to be a hero and or anti-hero in this story? Really, since Jack hasn't read the book, we should let other people have read it decide because... Zach and I cannot come to a decision. However, for the rest of these points, just going through real quickly, the higher power of Valet and Bulk Bank, I cannot say that that isn't the higher power. I think it fits really well. 
you know, receiving all those funds allows Glockta to hold the city for as long as he does. Schick will come in to kill him. Just furthering what Zach said, this moment where Schickel is attacking him and showing her strength allows Glockta to have this apotheosis of there are other things at work here. And even if he possessed all the funds and all the military might that he wanted, he still wouldn't be able to hold the city. So I think both of those together are pretty good. Atonement is a little weak, but I, I don't think we have time to really argue it. I think that it we would, in the end, come down on it as a hero. And the ultimate boon, while he did not do exactly what Archlector Salt wanted him to do, he does essentially what he wanted. And leaving the city alive, completing all the other tasks that he was given, I think is a perfect ultimate boon for Galacta. Uh, and that is going to bring us to a close on a fairly strong initiation with just that disagreement on the road of trials, which I'm ultimately coming down on the side of no, but reach out to us at a hero's journey pod on facebook.com or at a underscore heroes underscore journey on Twitter and let us know your thoughts. So look for a poll um, Thursday if you're listening to this on when it comes out, on the day it comes out. And sailing out of town right before our city is sacked, we come to our return. Take it away, Zach. So for our refusal of the turn here, um, it's actually really straightforward. He travels all the way back to uh, Ardua, and he gets there. And the first thing he's supposed to do is go see the art collector uh, and report. And he says, nope, I got to go see Artie West. And he does just that. He he immediately goes from the docks to Artie West's house and finds her sitting in an empty house. Apparently her uh, now deceased father had a bunch of... Uh, um, her dead father had a bunch of creditors who uh, came and repossessed essentially everything that she has whatsoever in order to uh, in order to pay back those debts. And she finds herself destitute and alone. And again, Glockta, ignoring his duties, goes to that creditor and makes it apparent on uh, who he's displeased. Uh, and in doing so, uh, Artie also gets to kick the guy in the face, I think, a couple times. Um, but he refurnishes uh, Artie's place with things even nicer than what uh, she had when he took everything. So he looks out for Artie before he continues about uh, his his duties that are required of him by the art collector. So a really good refusal of the journey that he's put himself on. Now, our magical flight um, is his escape from the city of Degosco, which I know um, kind of uh, goes out of order here. Um, there's no great flight now that he's returned to the city, but in his fleeing from a, uh, a city that's under siege with, uh, so, uh, they've been warned that these ships of the, uh, these new ships of the Gurkish Navy are coming. And if he doesn't get out now, he's never going to get out. And the, and the view of the, uh, of the siege is going quite poorly. And so he, he kind of slips out in the night on a ship, um, uh, just in the nick of time, which I think is a very nice magical flight. Now, for a rescue from without, he finally does show up at the art collector's office, and he um, he has to report what happened in the city. He gets there and finds that the art collector, uh, unlike what he thought was going to happen, where he was going to get reamed by the art collector for not saving the city, he finds out that he was essentially sent on a suicide mission, and that the uh, art collector is very happy with what he'd accomplished, not only in finding out that the Spice Guild uh, leader in the city had betrayed them, 
Um, but but allow, holding the city for so long, which allowed him to also uh, use that as a political tool against one of his rivals on the capital city's council. So very happy, but there's still some instances in which he he could um, he could fall here if if Vitari, who is um, supposed to be reporting on what happened to uh, Glockta while he was there explains that he received a bunch of funds and they don't know where they came from all of a sudden glockta's um not motive uh, loyalties are going to be called into question and who owns him instead um vitari lies for glockta to the arc lector because uh he helped her get out of the city so uh, he's rescued from the punishments of, a, of an angry arc lector now for the crossing of the return threshold uh he becomes the co-superior of ardua the capital city uh, not as grand as becoming the only superior, but uh, there's essentially no higher spot that the Archlector can bestow upon him. And so he's he's heaped with uh, power and responsibility upon returning, uh, something that he wanted at the beginning of the tale. He thinks he's a shoe-in to become superior of Ardua, and then all of a sudden it's given to uh, a different individual, and he's sent off into the waste. So it's perfect coming back threshold, getting the thing that he thought he was going to receive at the beginning of the tale. Now, for our Master of the Two Worlds, he um, he has stayed in the good graces of not only the Arc Lector, but also this kind of Illuminati-esque bank that seems to underlie society, um, which I, I think is a good showcase of the only two things that he is really able uh, to have control over in his life. Now, unfortunately, for the freedom to live, there's a lot of people pulling his strings right now. He's got the Arc Lector who, uh, you know, is still giving him assignments. The bank has this overwhelming, oh, we, you owe us something in the future. Um, he doesn't really get to make his own decisions in a lot of parts of his life at this point. So I don't really think he has a freedom to live. Okay, Zach. So this refusal to return is super interesting for a bunch of reasons. And I think the first reason it's interesting is because in a more traditional story with a more traditional hero than Galacta, the only refusal of the return that would be possible to that hero would be to stay in Dagoska and to have a final stand and then somehow save the city, right? But that's not possible in the story and it's not possible for Galacta. And one of the only reasons I think that this is a refusal of the return is because Galacta gets this promotion afterwards. In his mind, he's not delaying or refusing to return to a good thing. He is delaying his death. He goes to that meeting with the Arch Lector, assuming that he is going to die for failing. And seeing Artie and saving Artie is his last grasp at redemption and his last act before dying um and i just i don't know if it really fits because from his point of view it's not a refusal of the return it's a refusal of his immediate death i think that if the return is like if we just take a look at how we've defined the return right it's might not want to return to the ordinary world to bestow the boon that he learned in the ultimate boon to his fellow man and so he's the boon he received right is the, the the holding of the city for so long and he doesn't really get to learn the ramifications of his own actions 
until he's able to meet with the art collector. And so I think that's why it's delaying it, right? He he thinks he knows what's going wrong on, but at the same time he has no clue, right? It's it, it's proved it's 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 shown by the fact that when he gets there, he was so wrong that he is kind of out of the loop on what's going on. He says to Frost, "Do this one last thing for me and go find the creditor and make him give Artie her stuff back." Okay, so he's pretty convinced he's gonna. He's uh, on. It is a fairly fatalistic uh, statement. Yeah, it is a refusal of the return, but I don't think our character knows it then because I, I think at the point of time where this is taking place, he's not sure he's completed his ultimate boom yet. He's gotten out of the city, but he hasn't. He doesn't know whether or not he succeeded in his mission, which is such a weird thing to think about. But we've ruled before that the character's perspective, knowledge of thing, perspective on things, isn't always important. I, it's tempting to see it as not a refusal, but as the, as the hero's journey has taught us many times, occasionally it doesn't matter what the character knows. He, he is actually home free and potentially endangering himself by choosing to go see Artie. So what he thinks might be his valiant uh, last redeeming action is in fact a chance to get himself killed, which considering his ultimate boon is staying alive, Pretty good refusal to return. Okay, and going on to the magical flight, uh, yes, the ship ride out of Dagoska is pretty well. It fits very well as a time skip to add to the magic, and he's leaving the danger where he received the ultimate boon. The rescue from without, I think, is interesting. I assumed you were just going to say Arts Electra Salt is the rescue from without. Like saying, hey, you did a good job. You did better than I expected. But I like that you have um, Vitari lying to him. I think that her lie fits better as a real rescue. Because you're right. If if she tells the truth that he got all these funds from an unknown source, then Arch Sector Salt is going to question his loyalty and would probably kill him for getting these funds from an unknown source. So... I like that a lot, and I didn't really see that when I was reading. For Crossfield Return Threshold, we usually want this to be sharing the boon with the world. So are you saying that him becoming co-superior of Ardua is him sharing himself with the world? He's bringing them the gift of Glocta. Okay, honestly, (laughs) I know that sounds funny to say, but... (laughs) I think it works. So... If he is not in, if he continues in the same stagnation of power level, right? Every time he goes up, uh, every hierarchy. time his, yeah, every time he goes up in a position of power uh, in this hierarchy of the political world, right? He gains more influence to control, uh, to, in, to, he gains more influence to change the course of events that are happening in this story. And so we've just spent an entire book talking about how, even if he hasn't changed, he has the necessary abilities to make. Um, to make an impact on the world. And so I think by him gaining this position, that's only increased. We just talked about how his understanding of the forces, magical forces in play has just been heightened. And, you know, he's he's learning all these things and he can actually now use his position as co-superior to take action on them. Yeah, and I think, honestly, as much as... Don't want Glock to make it more hero points because he's coming dangerously close to being a 
traditional Joseph Campbell hero. A bonafide Arthur. hero boy. <laughs> um, we're gonna I have to raise. We we're just talking about lowering the scale. We're gonna have to raise the scale because Glock is about to get a twelve. Going to this master of two worlds, Glockta is the master of himself and only himself. He, as we already stated, doesn't really care to master another world. He wants to survive and carve out a little bit of happiness for himself. And that's only one thing. And you're definitely right in our freedom to live. Uh, Archlector Salt has a tie over him. Um, Vitari has ties on him. The bank has massive ties on him. He's been threatened by eaters. Oh my god. Baez is supposedly going to come back at some point. Man, there's a lot of things that Glockta is uh, being influenced by. And that's going to bring us to a close on our return um, with just that mastery of two worlds and freedom to live missing. Uh, and in what is truly a painful moment for me to say, uh, Glockta has received a final score of 12 out of 17, putting him above our margin for being a Campbell's Heroes Journey. Uh, I would like to view this rather than a positive view of Glockta as the inescapability of Joseph Campbell's monomyth. Moving on to our closing thoughts. I've liked these characters before. It's been really interesting to get to look at Glockta from sort of an outsider's perspective with this book. And I'm probably going to start reading it the moment we finish recording this while I eat dinner. So I can only say positive things for the impression I've got from these guys. And to anyone who listens to this podcast without reading the books, I might get it more now. So it's also important that Jack reads it because uh, while we uh, just followed Glock to here, there was an entire another uh, essentially two plot points that were happening all at the same time back in the capital city. And then more importantly, uh, following the, uh, the Bloody Nine and Baez and, and that co those companions as they journeyed essentially to the edge of the world in search of magical, magical artifacts. So um, if you if you don't know about that storyline, that's worth the, the read in its own right. And then as far as my closing thoughts go, uh, Joe Abercrombie does a wonderful job in this book and the series as a whole in creating characters that are realistic. We'd like to think in our real world that a Glockta doesn't exist, but when exposed to the conditions that made Glockta, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find individuals that don't turn into something that at least um, resembles Glockta. Uh, maybe not uh, to a T, but certainly enough simu similarities. And so he's provided us with a, a, a diverse range of characters that uh, none of whom... Uh, are infallible. And so I think that makes for really good reading. And it also leaves a certain amount of uncertainty. Um, there's very things that I find more boring uh, than knowing to a T what is going to happen at the end of a book. And I have not, uh, while I have plenty of guesses and they, you know, they're all on shades of close, uh, you can never do that here with this series. Like we, we can see while, while Glock is hitting a lot of these points, He's not what we would call a traditional hero, and I, I, I love that Abercrombie does this with Glockta. It is probably my favorite thing. The Dagoska, um, 
the Degoska storyline is amazing. Yeah, and for me, like I said before, I have a lot of praise for Abercrombie. I think one of the beautiful things he does is some of these steps that we're missing, um, like the Red of Trials that I think we're missing. Other characters hit those steps. Giselle, uh, at least in his mind, has gone through a very difficult road of trials and has come out better for it. And the temptation, we can see that with Pharaoh, um, where Galacta doesn't hit it as well. And West, Colonel West, has a pretty decent freedom to live. He doesn't have it exactly, but we can see other characters hitting all of these classic tropes. And their storylines are also a lot of fun. Um, I'm a little sad we didn't get to talk about them. Alex, I hadn't uh, necessarily thought of that, is that these... It's not like the book is missing these heroic steps. It's just we, when focusing on a singular character, chose not to highlight them. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've been enjoying Hero's Journey, don't forget to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts from and hit that subscribe button to get notifications for new content. We've also started a Patreon. If you feel like donating to the show, there's now an easy way to do it. Follow the link in the show notes and every cent you give will go straight back into the show. It also comes with some pretty nice perks, like getting to join our monthly chats on our new Discord server. Which, if you haven't already joined, I'd highly recommend, as it's a great place to hang out and chat about books. Which, if you're a fan of A Hero's Journey, is something you probably love to do. As always, I've been your host and judge, Jack. This is Alex. And I'm Zach. And come back next week when we'll be diving back into... When we'll be diving back into the Broken Earth trilogy by N.K. Jemisin with the second book, Obelisk Gate. Yay! Oh, thank you. Hero! Hero. And to all of our listeners, I apologize if any of you have to talk with Zach in the next week. He'll be insufferable about this win. Uh.